slash and cast. All right, folks, welcome to the Monsters Madness and Magic podcast. I'm your host, Justin, here with a quick word before we dive in. Now, in this episode, I chat with actor and martial artist Ludi Lin about his childhood, Final Fantasy, anime, Liu Kang, Mortal Kombat, and more. And if you're listening to this and you feel so inclined, please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Helps us show up on the algorithm. Anyway, without further ado, here you go. Greetings, boils and ghouls. This is your comrade, the Crypt Keeper here, reporting dead from the sanctuary of the strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature, one overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. Why don't you take us back in time to when you were a kid? You know, were you a book reader? Were you a fort builder, troublemaker, or were you all of the above? Oh man, that's a great icebreaker. Uh, so <laughs> run that by me again: a book reader, a fort builder, a troublemaker, a troublemaker, <laughs> or all of the above, and all of the above. I was. I think every kid's probably all of the above. But if I was to rank it in, in um, you know, how prevalent I am in each of those categories, I would say probably <laughs> probably depends on who you ask. <laughs> I, I, I did read I did read a lot. I had this. Uh, so I, I was born in China, and I had this encyclopedia for kids ever since I could remember. It was called Ten Thousand Questions Why, and I read that again and again and again. And even back then, I remember reading about like climate change in it. What would happen if all the ice in Antarctica melted? We'd all be underwater. And I thought about that over and over and over again. And then I would probably be a troublemaker after that because I do remember getting yelled at a lot when I was a kid. <laughs> and then a fort maker, I didn't have too many materials to build forts with. So that would be the last one. I love the idea of building a massive sandcastle. I always saw those as like great pieces of art, but I've uh, never had the chance to do it myself. Now, did you game a lot growing up or was that never sort of in your realm? I did video game a lot since I could remember because we had those. I don't know if you remember those like classic little handheld. They're not actually Game Boys. They're kind of like rip off of Game Boys that had 150 games in one little system. Did you have that? No, no, I'm not even, even like, know what that is. It's like, it's got like Tetris, Snake, anything you could do with all uh, like very simple pixelated graphics, you know? Damn. So we had those in China. And then I discovered the wonderful world of, you know, Nintendo and Sega, where it's all colored and, and interactive. So that was really fun. And from there on PlayStation, I think I did stop at PlayStation, PlayStation 2. I had a GameCube. I have a Wii now, but yeah, Sony wise, I stopped at PlayStation 2. And then I think that was the end of my various serious gaming. I think on PC games, it carried on for a little bit after that. And Counter-Strike just lasted forever. But um, yeah. I'm, I'm sure kids hearing this now, they're like, oh, how old is this guy? Counter-Strike. But I remember skipping school to play Counter-Strike. That was a lot of the hoot. Well, so what were some of your favorite PlayStation games? Do you remember what you were playing? Yeah, definitely. Definitely like um, Final Fantasy VII. Uh, As always, the classic. I played that a lot. What else? Wipeout, Wipeout XL. What else? There's some good PlayStation games. Crash Bandicoot, 
Yeah, things like that. Yeah, man, I love pretty much every Resident, Final Fantasy that's been released. Resident Evil. Yeah, Final Fantasy was was the cat's paws. You know they just remade 7 recently. I haven't played it, but it's out there. Yeah, I heard. And I think there's like different spin-offs now, aren't there? Yeah, they struck gold on that one, man. Yeah, yeah. So, Ludi, were your parents involved in the arts at all? Do you have a eureka moment to where you kind of sort of fell into that? I grew up with my mom. So my mother was into the arts, but then she was forced out of the arts mm. because she had to emigrate and, and make money for the family. And then the arts wasn't really looked upon fondly in my family. It's more like practical. And then ironically, she perpetuated that, that, that sentiment onto me when I chose to, do, to be in the arts, especially the film arts for a career. She heavily tried to dissuade me from doing that. Yeah, and it didn't, it didn't, she didn't, she didn't succeed, so. <laughs> she's probably glad she didn't succeed. Sometimes she's glad, sometimes she's still, yeah, very worried and still tries to dissuade me from time to time, but. That's what parents do, you know, that's what they're there for, to worry for us. That's right, that's right. When do you join the stage and when do you start actually taking part in theater? I always say that I think every single kid joins the stage from the moment they're born, at least from the moment they pick up a toy and start role playing. Like, I don't know. I don't know what little babies think when they pick up those like little shaker toys. But I imagine that they're, they're thinking that they're like some sort of um, cave baby, you know, like cave stroller. They might not know what a uh, race car driver is, but I imagine them to be thinking that they're in this in this vehicle and they're propelling themselves forward and imagining all sorts of things. So I think we, we play all sorts of roles as soon as we're born and we love role play when we're children. I, I know I did. Yeah. I used to, you know, a, a big towel and pretend I was Superman. I didn't even know. I don't think he, I even knew what Superman was then in China, but I certainly know that I would, if I had a cape, I could fly. But as a, as a serious career, I mean, I did um, theatre performance in university as well as as well as going to med school. But that's when it really seriously started, and it's 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 been great. It it's been great because it's so different than what I initially thought it was. Right. It's such a good surprise. So when you're on stage and you're playing a character, does your approach change at all if you're on screen? Yeah. There's a big difference. I think on screen, a lot of things, I feel like it's it's a lot more analytical, even while being in the moment, because you have so many takes and so many tries. There's a lot more collaboration and discussion of the character with like ongoing discussion with the director and with different departments. It's a lot more fun in that way. It's, I feel like it's more cohesive art in terms of film compared to theater. I mean, we all watch a screen and it's all presented in front of us in its, in its final rendition. But while you're making it, you have to go in between each single thing, like each little thing that you see on screen, there's been a discussion about it. Yeah. If there's a candle in the background, there's been, you know, 50 discussions about what type of candle. If we light it, where's the fire safety department, like the arts department, the production design, the director, everyone has to get involved. So you really have to go out of your way to make those things happen. So it's a, it's very nuanced. It's, I don't know, in some ways it's a bit more scientific. I mean, maybe that appeals to the, to the scientific side of my mind. Yeah, still a student, just beginning. Right, right. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you moved from China to Australia when you were nine. Yeah, that's right. Do you remember that being difficult for you, culture-wise? Yeah, that was really, really tough. 
everything thank god we have this episodic memory that we we can look back on things and not experience the pain but still enjoy the results of it because in hindsight of course it did a lot of good for me a lot of um, I, I i definitely received a lot of benefits from being on my own learning how to be independent and uh, learning english and just even more than that just being receptive to to living in another culture and compare that to the one that i was born with mm-hmm. and just reap the benefits from both and compare and contrast so but yeah it was grueling it's difficult to speak the language it was away from family it feels it felt like i was being ostracized and back then it wasn't it's not I mean, it's not easy to fly to australia now it's like a 20 hour flight <laughs> especially during the pandemic but back then it felt like i was never going back and it was like it felt like what you would be doing if you signed up for like for elon musk's first mission to mars it was yeah. definitely a, it felt like a one way ticket is that when your interest in martial arts and sort of arose i think i've always been interested in martial arts because many many boys are right <laughs> right just rough housing yeah 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 and i i i got i grew interested in becoming strong way before i was interested in practicing and learning how to do martial arts mainly from being beat on a lot and being bullied that'll do um, it that'll do it right mm-hmm. it was more like street fighting therefore that's why street fighter was probably one of my favorite games as well oh. also they had that on they had that on the playstation street fighter versus capcom <laughs> and then i didn't officially i got into martial arts i got into the like standardized practice of learning martial arts and uh doing a deep dive into it fairly late in life i would say i would say by the end of high school is when i started taking on a lot of different sports and it was through probably a graduation trip to thailand when i saw people practicing muay thai i uh, really took to it took a few classes and loved it while i was in thailand and from then on it was just an endless exploration did you ever go see a muay thai match while you were in thailand oh i did i so then i moved back i, I went back to thailand Three years later, I lived there for a year practicing Muay Thai, and I I saw lots of fights, lots of amazing fights in Lupini and Bangkok, in, in Chiang Mai, and then I fought in a whole bunch of fights myself as well. In fact, as we're talking right now, I just got back from Thailand again after after a few years away from it. I got back about a month ago, finishing a Muay Thai film in Thailand. Is that coming out this year, or can you not talk about it? I can't officially talk about it. Okay. You're probably the first person I've spoken to about it, but it should be. Uh, maybe not this year because time flies. We're nearing the end of the year. I just oh, finished. Yeah. So they have to go through. They have to go through post. So it'll probably be next year. I'm still thinking it's like February or something, you know. But we're almost to the end of the year. <laughs> yeah, that's where. Where are you, by the way? I'm in South Carolina on the east coast of the U.S. Oh, really? Yep. Yeah, that, that's a cool. That's a cool place. I've got a friend from South Carolina. I was in Alabama a couple of years ago doing another film. Really cool part of the United States. Yeah, it's hot as hell too. So before you said that you're a, you know, a big fan of comics and anime, what were some of your go-tos growing up? When I was growing up, my comics were manga. I, I didn't know Western comics until I really, I really came here. I didn't really read much comics um, when I was in Australia. I still stuck to my manga because I think one of the only things that I carried with me from Hong Kong to Australia was um, my collection of Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball Z. 
So yeah, that was definitely one of my favorites. But they were wildly expensive. You can imagine they were really, really expensive manga back then to purchase, especially uh, to a little kid. Yeah. Um, it was like uh, trying to get my mom to buy me one was asking for the moon. <laughs> it was so expensive. I had to really scrape everything together to to get a few books, and I would read them over and over again. So Dragon Ball Z was definitely one. Ranma. One and a half. I don't know if uh, you, many people know about it. I'm not but familiar with that the, one. It's one of the most hilarious manga I've ever read in my life. In terms of today's today's you know framework and society, it might be pretty ahead of its time because it was about this. It was about this martial arts master, a young martial arts master, who was training with his father in a remote region of China, and in in that place they had these little. I guess wells, natural wells、hmm. that were cursed because different things have fallen into these wells and died. And then after that, whoever falls into the well would take on that curse. What what would happen was if a person were to fall into that well and if they got out, if they get cold water poured on them, they would turn into whatever died in that well before. So the whole story is about this martial young martial arts master. He falls into a well where a young girl had died, and then so from then on, any time he gets cold water on him, he would turn into a young girl.、Uh, it's a really old manga, but then it was hilarious because the father fell into a well where a panda died, and、uh, he would turn into a panda, a kung fu fucking, a kung fu panda, literally. Has that ever been adapted to a show? Do you know? So in Japan, there's a system of、uh, of how the media works, right? Usually, first people draw a manga, a comic series, and then if that gets popular in one of their magazines, if there's a series of graphic novels, then they would make it into an anime automatically. So it's like manga, anime, and then OVAs, which were like movies out of those animes. It would be like that. So yeah, that was made into a cartoon、um, or an anime、uh, quite a few years back. I don't think it's been turned into live action because that's quite a recent thing. Have you watched the show at all? Yeah, did yeah. It, did it, did they do a good job of adapting it? Yeah, yeah. They always do. It's always because mangas on paper and cartoon is basically a lot of paper put together, and it's like they're really faithful to the original. So if you like the manga, you usually would like the anime. But of course, live action is a different story because we're all human and actors are actors are flawed. <laughs> we're just not as good at, <laughs> as playing cartoon characters as we should be. I'm gonna have to check that out, man. What was the name of that one again? Rama One and a Half. It's like R A N M A One Half. It's hilarious, man. You'll love it. Gotcha. I'm gonna look it up. Yeah, those are some classics. But of course, like in recent days, like Full Metal Alchemist, Death Note, Bleach, and all that. Those are great. And then a huge fan of like all sorts of Western comics as well. A lot of Marvel stuff, like the the side the offshoots, I really like, like Marvel Zombies. I love or, the offshoots, yeah, stuff yeah, like that.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, the offshoots are great, like the Ultimates, Vertigo Comics, a lot of like the Alan Watts, like that sort of, you know. Yeah, I love Vertigo Comics. I have a, I don't know if you can see, but I have a John Constantine tattoo on my arm here. Oh, that's Vertigo. Whoa, that's mad. That's come back in really interesting ways. Have you seen what's on Netflix recently? Sandman. It's on my watch list. I've heard great things. Oh, it's great, man. There's there's a bit about there's some allusion to Constantine in there. Really? I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think、okay. you'll like it. When did you become interested in snowboarding and scuba diving? I think snowboarding was one of the first sports that got me into sports. This is really interesting. 
My allegiance, according to sports, flip-flopped a lot. So when I first got into sports, it was rollerblading because all my friends got into this thing called aggressive rollerblading, which is a really funny way to put it because <laughs> aggressive and rollerblading aren't two words you put together. And Sounds so, terrifying. <laughs> yeah. It was like doing tricks on rollerblading, you know, like like going off ramps and doing flips and, and grind and also wearing baggy clothing. So although like the style was very similar, but aggressive rollerbladers always had a feud with skateboarders it's just like skiers and snowboarders you know so then when i was aggressive rollerblading i was hating on skateboarders a lot you know that teenage angst you just have to have something to fight against right right and then and, and then i started skateboarding so that was a bit of like cultural confusion again it's like am i supposed to hate on aggressive rollerbladers now at the end of the day, I just realized it was all just good and fun. So I got, I did skateboarding. I learned to snowboard. I learned to surf. And then from then on, scuba diving was one of my great loves. Uh, I picked up later on in life. And that's also something that has to do with Thailand because I lived on this island called Koh Tao where um, everyone scuba dived. There's so many scuba diving schools and you can go out every single day. And that's where I got my dive masters, which is uh, one of the higher levels of scuba diving. And just to explore the whole different world down there, it's, it's really the best. That meant a lot, great lot to me because I'm, a, I'm actually a terrible, terrible swimmer. In oh. fact, the other day I was out paddleboarding and I, I fell over and swallowed a whole bunch of water just, <laughs> just trying to get back to my board and not die. Have you ever had a, a scary situation with scuba diving? Any kind of shark yeah. encounters or anything? Shark encounters aren't usually scary. Like they're exciting, but they're not that scary. I haven't done one of these, like a cage dive with a great white shark. I imagine that to be absolutely frightening. <laughs> The good thing is you're in the water, so if you pee your pants, it could just, <laughs> nobody will notice. Yeah. But yeah, I've had some close calls where our oxygen gauge was, was faulty and uh, running out of air underwater is a really, really scary thing because you're sucking, you're sucking, and all of a sudden you would just stop and you can't breathe anymore. And then, you know, the whole panic system right. sets in your mind. Yeah, I think all sports come with risks. You just have to be aware and mitigate those risks. Running into those situations actually help you to stay exceptionally calm under really difficult situations. Since you're already in the martial arts, that probably already sort of helps you prepare for a sort of situation where you're kind of screwed, I guess. Yeah, and when that comes up is really when you start to panic. And that's the worst thing you can do for yourself. I've had a couple of near-death experiences in my life. And going through those has really taught me that if you panic, it's really over. Right. Well said. So at what point along your acting path did you realize, holy shit, I could do this for a career? Where it seemed real. Uh, yeah, I, I'm still realizing that, actually. <laughs> I've always had a rule that when I start something new, I try to think whether I can do this for life, whether it'll keep my interest for my entire lifetime. If it can't, if the answer is no, then I usually don't do it because what's the point of doing something and just quitting? At this point, I still think that acting and getting into film is something that I could work at but never perfect for my entire lifetime. So that's really interesting to me. So I'm still realizing that. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm making ends meet, putting food on the table, doing what I enjoy, being able to care for and provide for my loved ones. And that's all I need, really. 
Right. How does your first professional screen role happen for you? Was it a typical audition, right place, right time situation? My first professional screen role, I think this is my first, and it was an audition, and I wouldn't say it was typical because I because casting directors, back when you do auditions in person, casting directors usually don't get into the swing of things. They just sit there and they have someone to act it out or read for you. But this person really got into it. Like he really got into my face and started like rubbing my head, which was bizarre because I remember him being just completely bald. And I don't know if that is appropriate or what. I don't think he works in the industry anymore. It was weird. So then I got cast, I, I actually got the role afterwards. And it was just a tiny role on, I think it was on some show on YTV, which is like a kid, like children programming here in Canada. And then it was just, I'm not even sure I had any lines, but I was overjoyed at getting it, even after that bizarre and somewhat frightening experience. And it just grew from there. Mm -hmm. And now that I look back with, with the type of roles that I'm getting today, it just seems, um, it's incomparable what we're doing now, but the sense of joy at getting the chance to portray something and mm -hmm. acting on screen and show it to the audience is still the same. I know you mentioned earlier that your mom was sort of trying to dissuade you. How did she react when you did get your first job? Was she, was she happy or was she kind of discouraged by it? That first job, she didn't even know. When I chose acting in university, I didn't even tell her. And then when she found out, that's when she, she told me I had, to, I had to quit and go into medicine, so I had to take both. But she didn't even know. She didn't know I was working officially as an actor until I did Power Rangers. And that was filmed in Vancouver where she lives. And uh, she didn't even believe it. And my family didn't believe it until um, I took her on set one day and she saw all the lights and the trucks. And, and then she quickly realized that this was, this was a real thing. But of course, shortly after she forgot about it because after that's done, there's no guaranteed second role. Right. You know, in acting, you roll the dice every single time that you finish a job, right? There's never a guarantee. So you just have to always work on your craft and get better. Mm -hmm. You're obviously very physically active and you try to stay in shape. Do you try to do your own stunts if possible? Yeah, on this most recent film, I'm actually really proud to say I did all of my own stunts. Uh, yeah, it was difficult. Stuntmen do not have an easy job. No. <laughs> um, I, I really, I really do what I can and I don't have too many role models in my life. I never had ever since I was growing up. It was more of trying to figure my way, own way out of things. As I grow older in life, ironically, a lot of people have popped up and I go, wow, if I could do that, that would be something I should aim toward that. And uh, I have to say Tom Cruise in the recent years really has been <laughs> a great role model of course like doing your own stunts like jackie chan has always been talented yeah. but yeah there's people that somehow get this resurgence of energy and just watching top gun and possibly the upcoming mission impossible and hearing about all the stories and <laughs> what what he's willing to take on and just dive in head first seems like seems like a lot of fun and even even being able to keep my body up in shape and and my mind sharp enough to be able to do that for that extent extended period of time seems like something that i would want to uh it'd be a worthy challenge yeah man that tom cruise he's pretty good i've heard <laughs> yeah. have you seen top gun have you seen the latest i haven't seen the newest one. Oh, it's good mate 
you should see it. I've heard nothing but great things about that. And you know, yeah. he's always he's like sixty years old, jumping out of planes and stuff still. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the, the least of it. Like, it, like flying the plane and then probably jumping out of it, trapped on the outside of the plane and jumping out of it. That's nuts. So I think we're about the same age. You know, I was born in ninety. I think that's about the same time you were born. Were you a fan of the Mortal Kombat franchise growing up? Yeah, those were some of my, I mean, it, it's the first video game that really, I think, I think it was Mortal Kombat and one other video game that actually made the video game system carry the ratings because it was so violent. Of course, there's some political stuff in it, but like that was one of the first games. And as everybody knows, the more you try to prevent kids from playing something, the more they want to play something. Mm-hmm. Right. As soon as you slap an R rating on a movie, that's when, um, you know, 12 year olds and 13 year olds try to figure out what, uh, ways to sneak into the theater so they can watch it. And Mortal Kombat was one of those for video games. It's just a lot of fun. And the first time, like when you do a fatality, like when that comes up, it, it really it does something. It yeah. does something. It does something like it makes you it makes you giggle and makes your I, I don't know if it's the same with boys and girls, but as you know, growing up as a boy, I, I know it makes something in, inside of you go a little bit giddy, a little bit wild. Did you watch the first movie at all when it came out? I did watch the first movie. Yeah, I did. I watched it quite a few times, probably. It was one of those that I put on replay. Yeah, it was great. First movie. I think one of my favorite characters back then was Reptile, actually. because that chameleon factor I always liked and it really blended into the ninja aspect of thing. Favorite character was always Luke Kang because he's just so overwhelmingly powerful to the extent where it was really cheap yeah <laughs> and you know if you picked luke kang in the games all your friends sort of rolled their eyes like, yeah, oh, you're yeah picking luke kang again <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's funny about that is one of my first episodes that i did on this show we're over 150 episodes now but one of my first ones was robin shu yeah. who was luke kang oh, really? in the first movie oh really yeah. wow that's when did you do that that was like two and a half years ago man and it was like oh uh, uh, really yeah that's what i was gonna say you know it's kind of cool talking to you because i've kind of come full circle with the show with the lou kings that's great yeah because I, I i did speak to robin quite a bit when the movie was going on and he's just he's just a great person i could really yeah. see him being he gave me a lot of inspiration i mean not just the original lou king but him Himself as a person gave me a lot of inspiration for how Liu Kang should be portrayed. That's why I always say that whenever you take on a role, especially an iconic one that that is so indelible, it really it always leaves something in you as a person. It's definitely left something really deep within me. Uh, when we spoke with Robin and I asked him about, you know, when he realized the big deal that Mortal Kombat was, he almost started crying when he told the story about uh, when he walked out of the main theater for the premiere and they had invited thousands of kids without telling him. And yeah. as soon as he walks out of the theater, he's stormed by thousands of kids, you know, in Liu Kang costumes, have, wanted to have him sign their games and stuff. And wow. he just got overwhelmed telling that story. And that's just, wow. I was going to ask you, when did you realize that Liu Kang is a big deal? I mean, obviously you grew up with Mortal Kombat unlike him, so it's a different thing. I've been fortunate enough to have several of those, those moments in my life. During Rangers, that was huge. And Mortal Kombat, even even during the pandemic, where we weren't able to do the press tour, like have a have an actual premiere, which I promise we will do in Mortal Kombat 2. But even then, I really felt it from the outpouring from fans online, um, people like you requesting interviews and, yes. and telling me about you know your stories and how how much you loved Mortal Kombat and its history with you. And then I was able, like I, I was doing a film in 
Hawaii at the time when Mortal Kombat came out. And funnily enough, the, that week when I was in Hawaii, the theaters opened up again. And so we just quietly went to the theater and watched Mortal Kombat. And then the owner noticed that, you know, the guy that's in the, in the, in the seats is the guy on the screen. So she, out of nowhere, it was just a little, like, almost a family mom and pop's theater shop. Yeah. But they, from somewhere, they, they, um, they conjured up this red carpet. This is tiny little, like, six-foot red carpet, you know? <laughs> And they laid it out after after we watched the film. And that was great. Even then there was fans like yeah. I think there was a seven-year-old girl in the in the audience. I don't know if she knew what she was watching <laughs> because she was having a birthday party that day. <laughs> she, she came to the theater and, and the family chose Mortal Kombat of all of all things. It just tells you what a great like family activity and a tradition going to the theaters are yeah. and, and how much these characters mean to people. Exactly. I say the same thing about your Mortal Kombat film that I said about the original, which is everybody's going to have their opinions about movies, specifically video game movies. But what you have to nail is the same thing that the first one nailed is what you guys nailed. It's Mortal Kombat. So you have to nail the casting. You have to nail the fights and you have to nail the brutality. And you guys checked all three boxes. And I just thought it was great. And I think you did a great job as Luke King. So I just wanted to say that to you just personally. Yeah, thanks, Justin. That means a lot, man. That means a lot. I mean, we were rebooting the movie after, what was it? I think 96 was the first one, right? Yeah, about that time. So that's, you know, that's like 20 something years, almost 30. And then I knew that the Mortal Kombat universe has grown so much in the time it evolved so much beyond what the what we had to work with in the originals. And there were things that we were going to get right and there were things that we were going to get wrong. And after the movie, in the final diagnosis, we were very aware and our director, Simon, he's very aware as well. And he even wrote a document saying, I think this is what we got right. This is where we could have done better. And this is where I want to go for the next movie. So he's had that. And now that he's officially on slate to direct the next movie, I think it's going to be great. I really look forward to it. How much did the pandemic affect you guys during filming? Or was that was it already done by then? Our, the bulk of our filming was done. The principal was done during right before the pandemic, actually. And then we had to do additional filming during the pandemic. And it was just a really different process because um, before the pandemic, everything was done, done on location. So there was very little CG involved in all the scenes and stuff. It was just, it was the outback of Australia where these great vast deserts were. And, and you know, Raiden's temple was actually an old mine. So it's like built into the ground, underneath the ground and everything was real. And then during additional photography, we had to we had to do it in studio just by the limitations of travel and stuff. So those are two vastly different experiences, but it's, you know, the show must go on. It's whatever it takes to get the job done. So moving on, like past Mortal Kombat, I see that you're also a regular in the TV series Kung Fu. Now I've not watched it, but what can you tell me about it to sort of whet my appetite about it? It's a really different story. It's a, it's a reboot as well. It's um, Kung Fu is actually something, a treatment that Bruce Lee had originally wrote that turned into a, a TV series in the 70s called Kung Fu. But um, instead of casting Bruce Lee, they thought, you know, back then there were, there were limitations in diversity and representation, and they thought they needed a white person to be a lead. So it turned into a series featuring David Kerosene wandering around China trying to solve cases. There's huge fans of that, uh, mm-hmm. of that show back then actually really like my there's you know aunts that i talk to and 
you know, the, the last generation that really still embraced that series. But this one is a, a reboot taking place in our time in San Francisco about a Asian American girl taking the core of the martial arts that she's learned in China back to San Francisco and solving things and discovering like unraveling mysteries around mythical things that happen in that world. And along the way, it's gotten more and more magical. You're all about monsters and magic. Yeah, um, of course. Along the, the series, there's more and more monsters and there's definitely more and more magic. Having said that, I, I've done, I think, because that's the first TV show I've ever done. And I really enjoy the process because you get to follow the character along, you know, along this journey for a very long time and a long arc. But I'm, my, time, my time is done on that show since season two, which is the last season. And season three is filming right now and they're great. But um, I'm really happy where, with where we left off with my character. His name is Kerwin. So if you guys check it out, yeah, let me know what you guys think because I'm always happy to hear. He definitely goes through, he, de he goes through the ringer. I'm definitely gonna check that out. I remember the Kung Fu show now that you remember. I didn't know it was based on that Kung Fu, that it was a reboot. Yeah, I didn't know that. It's not based on it, but it's like a reimagining of it. It shares the name and it shares the, it shares the history. It's kind of like, humans like you and me and walruses we share a common ancestor way back then somewhere yeah. <laughs> but you know it's not like we're, we're based on the same anything yeah Do you know what i, mean? I got you <laughs> now you did star in one of my personal favorite shows speaking of monsters and magic and such black mirror and now i consider that sort of a modern day twilight zone what was your experience like working on that show black mirror that was so cool uh, first of all, I got to go to Brazil to work. Again, it's one of these things like, because this day and age, everyone just assumes everything that's cool on screen is CG. In my experience, we still try to do things as tangible as possible. So for Black Mirror, all the Japanese locations is actually set in Brazil because Brazil has one of the largest populations of Japanese people and Japanese culture outside of Japan. And all the towers and stuff, all the back setting, it's all there. Yeah, it, it was just great fun to do. Like the crew, super fun. Our director, Owen Harris, he's all about exploring this thing between virtual reality and relationships, mm. what love means in the future, in all these different context, uh, in all these different contexts. You know, he's got three episodes on Black Mirror, and they're all about that. They're all about what happens when love transcends the body yeah. into the digital space, right? And what it means for us in the future. So that was great. As soon as I read the script, it blew my mind, and I knew what I want to sign on to the project. And fortunately enough, I got, I really got to do it. What a great show just in general, you know, I mean, like I said, I consider it the twilight zone of our generation because it touches on that kind of gray area between like, where does technology cross the line into becoming a bit creepy, you know? So they're doing a new season now. Did you hear that um, they didn't do a season for the last two years because the creators thought that the... Um, it was too much. The world, the world was dark enough as it is. Yeah. They, didn't want, yes. they didn't want to take away our last shred of hope. Uh, so considerate, really. Yeah. That just shows yeah. how good the show is, that it can do that. Yeah. I yeah. appreciate if it. They did it. If they did it, Black Mirror could have been the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, it would have been over for us. There's COVID, monkey pox, and then Black Mirror, and it's just finished. The nail in the coffin. Yeah. <laughs> 
Mr. Ludi, when you look back over all the roles that you've done thus far, is there one that is most challenging, one that kept you up at night, maybe you pulled your hair over or something like that? I'm always, like there's this concept of four center of mass, which means you're always pushing yourself a little bit forward, like 15 degrees forward every single time, because if you're not, then you either being stagnant or you're falling backwards. And I always want to lean forward a little bit just to push myself forward. So, which means naturally the next project is always going to be my toughest project because I'll be pushing my limits, whether it's emotional, whether it's physical, whether it's what. But this latest project I finished in Thailand, that was really, really tough because I truly did 100% of my own stunts. And Thailand's hot, man. It's really, really, I don't know what, what temperature there is. Uh, it is in, in South Carolina right now, but, and far be it for me to try to do this in Fahrenheit, sorry, but we work in Celsius. So it was like 40 degrees in Thailand doing action for eight hours a day, uh, 40 degrees, probably it's over a hundred for sure. Oh yeah. That's so it was, yeah. So it was boiling hot. My body was just going crazy to the extent where it's so hot and you're so distracted by the exertion that you don't even notice the injuries that you get. You just want to keep pushing it and keep going after filming, go to sleep, get up in the morning, train, prepare, and then go to set and do that over and over again. And this, this Muay Thai film that I finished, it was a reimagination, very loosely, very, very loosely based on Enter the Dragon. That was a really challenging role, but it was so much fun. If you ask me right now whether I would do it again, I would say maybe. <laughs> give, give me a few weeks before you ask me that question again. Okay. Um, but it really prepares me for Mortal Kombat 2, which is coming right up. How long was that shoot that you were just on, the Muay Thai film? Uh, that was a little more than two months. So, have you seen any movies recently that have moved you? Oh, well, Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Top Gun. There's, you, you have to see it, man. It's the, it, I, I wouldn't say there's anything that will flip your world upside down. You know, when you, do you remember the feeling when you first saw The Matrix? Oh, yeah. And you're like, oh, wow, okay. You knew it was something. Like you have to sit, yeah, sit back for a few days, right? Top Gun, I wouldn't say it was like that, but it was like just every single aspect of movie making at its best. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah. not like a really revolutionary concept, but it's a step toward perfection of what that genre can bring. Um, so that was really cool. What else did I see? I saw, what was the last movie you watched in the theaters? Holy shit. It might have been something like The Conjuring that long ago. The Conjuring? Yeah, or part two of wow. The Conjuring, maybe. Um, it's been that long since I've been to the theater. What have you... What have you been watching? Oh, I thought I saw, I saw. Okay, so with the with the movie I did in Thailand, two of my castmates were local Thais, Thai actors, with a, a whole bunch of them. There was a lot of Thai actors, but three of them were in a recent movie called Thirteen Lives, made by Ron Howard, about the 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 uh, children's soccer team that was trapped in a cave in Thailand yeah. back a few years ago. So there was a documentary called The Rescue, and Ron Howard made a, a movie named 13 Lives, starring Viggo Mortensen uh, and Colin Farrell and Joel, Joel Egerton. It was, it was really, really good. And um, my friends who are in this uh, Muay Thai movie with me, they're Thai actors that take on various, like, really important roles. So I really enjoy that as well. It was, it was, it was a really good movie. 
Awesome. Is there anything on the horizon for you that you can tell us about without getting in trouble? So this this movie, I mean, the thing about the horizon is I'm always expecting the unexpected. So there's things that I know is going to happen, like Mortal Kombat 2 is going to happen. Um, preparing for that now, getting myself mentally and, and definitely physically there. There's movies that I want to produce and there's just like I produced this recent film in Thailand. I co-produced it. Um, had a lot of creative input, which is so enjoyable. Um, so I want to explore that area to, to be able to produce the stories that I want to tell. And then what else? Just lots of paddleboarding. Really <laughs> fun and calming. It's so like it's like a meditation. Just enjoy the summer, enjoy life and friends. I hope you guys do too, because we had a lot of time just being like reclusive and shut in. And now um, the sun's out. Bring the guns out. <laughs> exactly. It's time to go outside. Yeah. Well, Ludi, play. It's, it's been a pleasure talking to you, man. Uh, thank you so much. I'm going to cut you loose. And if you just uh, while I got you here, if you're down, down the road, I'd love to have you and Robin together. Uh, oh, that'd be amazing. That'd be crazy. Yeah, I'd love to get you and Robin together after Mortal Kombat 2. I know he's down, so we'll see if we can get you two together. Yeah, definitely, man. Shout out anytime. Thank you for your time, Justin. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, have a good afternoon, mate. All right, bye-bye. See ya. Welcome to the night. You think you know Night Demon? Then the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast is for you. Step into the darkness as we peel back the curtain to give you an unprecedented, all-access look into the mind and the heart of the demon. We're talking band history, song analysis, studio anecdotes, stories from the road. It's everything a diehard Night Demon fan could want and more. This is the only place to learn the inside scoop, the deep dive trivia, the untold tales from the band members themselves and those closest to the Night Demon story. Need more? The sacred Night Demon crypt will be pried open to reveal demo recordings that have never before seen the light of day all with in-depth commentary by the band and the people who were there for the writing and recording process. This is a gold mine, a treasure trove of all things Night Demon. Head over to nightdemon.net or wherever you listen to podcasts.